We're going to open in prayer as we get ready to look at our scripture for today, which will be in Luke chapter 11. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come and deliver your word. We ask your spirit to guide and lead us as we look at your word and see what it is that you would want us to get from all of this. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 11, starting, what well, we'll read uh, verse uh, 1 through 4 again. And it came to pass that while he was praying at a certain place, when he had ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, as in earth, heaven, so in earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive everyone that is indebted unto us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to just look at this section because last week we talked about that first verse and says Jesus' lifestyle led people to want to know something about it. And in this case, it was how do we pray? Now, in, Ma in Matthew 6, 9, it enters this prayer, the same prayer being said in pray in this manner. All right. So when Jesus was giving us this prayer, he was not saying, this is the only prayer that you could pray. All right. Uh, there are certain denominations out there that every Sunday morning you will say the Lord's Prayer. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying this prayer. It's a good prayer. But the question is, how do I say it and how do I speak it? Am I just saying words, or does it mean something to me? Jesus told his disciples to avoid vain repetition. And it's part of my problem sometimes when we sing songs that we sing so often, do we actually think about the words that we're singing? You know, you know, we just sang Because He Lives, and that song has so many powerful verses in it. You know, uh, he says, we can trust God that our children will be protected by him because he's in control. You know, it didn't quite say it that way, but do you actually listen to these words and think about these words when we sing them? These are very powerful. Uh, and many churches, if they're going to say the Lord's Prayer every single Sunday, people go, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And they didn't mean a single word of it. They didn't even think about what they said. It. They just said it with that dead just like I said it just now with a dead feeling on it. This is the idea of how do we pray to God. And this prayer actually does pray just as we have on our little prayer sheet. At the very top of it, we put the acronym ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Those are all parts of our prayer life. When we pray to God, do we put all of that? And this prayer does cover all of those all of those. Uh, functions on it. He starts out with our Father. The relationship that God wants with us as Christians is a very personal, intimate relationship. And I don't know if you realize, because you all are Christians in this room, hopefully, <laughs> you know, and those listening, but do you realize how unusual it is in various religions to be able to call God your Father? No other religions do that. They don't have that intimacy of a loving relationship with their God. You know, 
When I was working out of the prison as a chaplain, I would watch these different groups when their prayer times and everybody was doing exactly the same thing and exactly the same way to prepare themselves to be able to pray to their God. A huge amount of ritual was going into it and they did not have a personal relationship with their God. They hoped that the God that they prayed to listened to them. We're told by God he will listen to us. He wants to listen to us as a father. And this is something that is very interesting because Satan is trying to destroy families in this world so he can destroy the relationship that God uses to describe himself. You know, you tell some people God wants to be your father and they go, I don't want a father. I know what fathers do. They beat me all the time. They were abusive to me. I don't want a father. Satan has done a very good job in destroying families so that people have a hard time understanding this term of what a father is supposed to be. So Jesus says, you start out with our father. You're giving him an adoration that says, you are special. I want to know you in this intimate lifestyle that you have given us for, for our life. And it's, then he goes, who art in heaven, who lives in heaven. Now this is kind of interesting because this takes us into all, you know, I, I was thinking about how to deal with this scripture for, for weeks now and because I could have spent probably five or six weeks just on breaking down this prayer with all the doctrines that are in it. I decided not to. <laughs> I'm going to try to just brush over everything and, ask, and challenge you to do more study. But who art in heaven. God's dwelling place is not this earth. Technically, it's not even in us, even though he says he dwells in us. He dwells in this world. But there is nothing in this physical world that can contain God. Matter of fact, all of heaven does not contain God. He is so big that nothing contains all of him. And yet he chooses to dwell in heaven and chooses to dwell in us and chooses to dwell around us. You know, have you ever thought about how big God is? And he says, God, who is in heaven, your home basically is in heaven. That's where his throne is. And that is where, and in Psalms it tells us that he dwells in heaven and the earth is his footstool. You know, and in Chronicles, you know, Solomon basically quoted David's statement, you know, heaven is your home, earth is your footstool, and you have chosen to dwell in the temple that can't hold you. <laughs> Have you ever really thought about this? God chooses to dwell in you when you're a Christian. And you are full of God. I am full of God. You each, each person who's saved is full of God. And there's no less of him in you than there is in me and everybody else that's a saved person. All of us have a complete fullness of God in us. Because when you divide infinity by any number, it still comes out with infinity. God is not diluted by being in lots of different people at all. He is that big, that strong, that powerful. He's, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Separated. In the Jewish tradition, they will not say the name God. They will not say the name Yahweh. Uh, and if you read any tra English translations of something in the Jew Jew Jewish realm, it's very interesting because you'll see G-D. Because they don't put the vowel in there, they will not let you say the word God in the Jewish tradition. And 
the, the word that we translate Yahweh, they took the vowels out so they don't pronounce his name Yahweh. When they come to it, they'll substitute Adonai, which means master, rather than God. Because God's name is so separated, you cannot speak it in their, in their, in their presence. Matter of fact, it's very interesting that for a Jewish scribe, when they write out the text, when they get to God's name in the text, they will get up, wash their hands, get a new pen, write the name of God, get up, wash their hands, and throw away the pen that was used to write God's name because it cannot be profaned by writing anything else after having written his name. So there are certain scriptures where they're getting up a lot and using a lot of new pens because God's name is in that, in that scripture over and over and over and over again. So they're doing all of this. But this is, you know, and I think they took it to an extreme. But I'm trying to make a point here. They separated God's name so thoroughly that it was totally separate and kept a great honor. You, know, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, in our day and age, we see people and hear people take God's name in vain all the time. And as I've said in our church, you know, taking his name in vain does not mean just using his name as a curse word. It is using his name lightly and without meaning. You know, when people will say, oh, my God, and they're not praying to God, they're using God's name in vain. You know, uh, so we need to be very careful. How easily do we take his name and not hallow his name, not set it apart as special? And this is something that is part of this prayer. It's part of the adoration. God, you are special. You are separate. Much of our prayer needs to be this adoration to God. You know, now, this could be taken way too far the other way. You know, there's churches where people go, oh, magnificent, magnificent, wonderful father of glory and all this other stuff. And you know, they're making a big show of it. But if they're honest, they're, it would be okay. They're raising God. They're giving adoration to God. And there's nothing wrong with it if they're doing it for the right reason. And this is something that is very important. When you are praying, are you spending any time giving God adoration? Listening back to God? You know, prayer is supposed to be a conversation with God. And I am as guilty as anybody else. How many times do our prayers end up being a one-sided talk with me talking? And I tell God all the stuff I want. God, here's my shopping list of things I want. Oh, by the way, you're good and nice and wonderful. Thank you. You know, talk to you later. You know, and just to throw it out, I don't want anybody answering or thinking about it, but if you had your friends talking to you the way you talk to God, would you want to be with your friends? If they talk to you the same way you talk to God. We need to be careful about that because we need to be able to put time where we listen, where we are honoring God. Many of us, our prayers are just, God, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, thank you, goodbye. And, you know, we think about that. How would we like it if every time we saw somebody, uh, I need, I need, I need, I need, see you later. <laughs> uh, I didn't even get a word in edgewise. Uh, am I the vending machine that you're waiting for all these answers from? You know, and how often do we treat God in just that way? God, you're the big vending machine in the sky. I'm going to tell you everything I need. And then, well, well you got the right to say no, but I'm going to tell you everything I need and I'm leaving. 
We need to be very careful about that. Prayer needs to be a time for me to talk, sometimes just to listen. Now, people go, well, when I'm listening, I fall asleep. Well, you've got to work on that. <laughs> All right? Maybe you need to listen by reading your Bible during the prayer time or something. I don't know, but you know, we need to be able to go to God and say, God, I need to listen and be able to respond back. Your kingdom come, your will be done, as in earth, so in heaven. Now, that's quite a big prayer. God, I want you to do on earth what you're doing in heaven. Now, in heaven, he's dealing with the angels. He says, go, they go. They know their job. They know their, what they are. This is a prayer that's saying, God, teach me to be your servant, to do what you desire. Now, the hardest thing with being God's servant, Satan doesn't like it when we serve God. Those of you who have asked me to say I want to get into some kind of ministry or something, I, the first thing I'm going to warn you about is be ready for the attack. Satan is going to attack you when you step out to serve God. And unfortunately, he knows our weaknesses very, very well. He will get in and he'll put uh, an attack on us that will make, uh, bring us to our knees if we're not careful. Always. And you know, the sad thing is, we'll justify everything that we're doing. Well, God, you know I have to work and do my other job. You know I have to take care of this. You know I have to take care of that. And Satan knows just what it is that's going to give him. And I've been there. I, I walked away from the church for a while because I got so busy supporting my family that I never saw because I was so busy supporting my family. It didn't work out well for me at all. Hurt my family, hurt my job, hurt the church, hurt everything because I was so busy justifying taking care of my family. We justify our decisions frequently with God. God, well, you know, everybody else is doing it. I've just got to do it this way or I'm not going to be successful. God, I'm not, you know, you don't understand, God. Your, your rules are so strict. They don't work in this world. I can almost hear God laughing at us when we do that to him. My, my rules would keep you from the trouble that you're going to face. Oh, he's probably crying more than laughing because you know, he knows where we're headed. And for those of us who've had kids that have gone the wrong way, have you ever tried, you remember telling your kids they're going the wrong way and, and, you're, and you're almost in tears because you know they're going to be making the wrong decisions and get hurt, but they're not willing to listen. God does the same thing with us. He says, here's my rules. They're going to keep you from having consequences, having troubles. And we go the wrong way anyway. And I can almost see God shaking his head and saying, why do you all have to learn the hard way? <laughs> why do you have to go through all of these things? And in this prayer, he's saying, God, help your kingdom come in this earth. Basically saying, help me learn to be a servant. To serve you the way you want to be served. Serving God is not for, not for, uh, for wimps and cowards. Which is kind of interesting because you'll hear men say all the time, well, I'm too manly to become a Christian. I go, no, you're too much of a wimp to become a Christian. You don't have enough courage to stand for God against the world. You want to go the way of the world. Now, and this is very important because God is saying, I want you to follow me, which is going to take a great amount of courage to serve God rather than doing things the easy way. 
You know, it is very easy to go with the crowd and do things the way the crowd does. It is very hard to stand up for God, but yet it's not hard because he gives you the strength to stand for him, but it seems hard when you're doing it because you're going against the current. You're going against what everybody's wanting to do. And this prayer is saying, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, it's all the angels serving God the way they know they're supposed to. And we're saying, God, I want to serve. Help me serve. Did you all know this is how much you're praying about when you say this prayer? <laughs> and then it says, your will be done as in, so his will. What do you want done? Not what I want done. While we're living on this world, we are servants to God to do what he wants. Now, if you can really get that into your head, that's going to change the way you act and do most everything. We're not here to please ourselves. That is the, the lie from Satan. You know, do, it, do what pleases you, pleases you. You want to be like God. You want to be the one in charge of your life. And that is the lie that so many of us believe in this world. Everything we're doing in this world is to get riches and rewards in heaven where we find get to relax and be serving him in heaven in a perfect world with all the rewards that we earn from this lifetime but so many of us say well God you know I've got so many reasons not to serve you I've gone through these before everybody goes well God I'm going to serve you later the only problem is if that's your attitude later never comes because some new set of problems are going to come up you know God I'm busy getting my job started God, I'm busy raising my kids. God, I'm busy, you know, I'm in mid-management now. I've got, to, I've got to put some time into the company. Well, God, the, the kids are in high school and they've got plays and sports and all these other things. I've got to take care of all of that. Well, God, I've got, you know, finally getting my own business started. I've got to take care of that. Yeah, we can come up with excuses all the way through our entire life to not serve God. Then we get to our retirement years when we think we're going to have lots and lots of time and go, God, I don't have enough money and energy to be able to serve you anymore. We need to be very careful because if we do not make God a priority in our life, his will will never be done. Because we can just keep putting it over and over and over again and something will always be there to distract us from God. Always. If we do not make him a priority in our life, something will come up to distract us. And it'll sound logical in the middle of it. Well, God, you just, you have to understand, God, if I don't have this job, you know, I can't serve you anyway. I can't tithe. I can't, I can't help you, God. I've got to do this. God, I've got to take care of my family. You know, and then we get lost because we get so wrapped up in all those things other than putting God in our, in, in our, in our life. And I've heard them all. I've even made some of them in my lifetime <laughs> to, to, to make these excuses. Then he says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, this is the prayer that is most of the world. God, give me enough for this day to get by. What do we do in America? God, give me enough day bread for today, tomorrow, next year, and, and also my retirement, and I'll, and I'll be happy. We won't be happy, but we think we will be. But we're not learning to depend on God for our daily bread, and not just our physical bread. God takes care of us spiritually on a daily basis. You cannot get up enough spiritual Bible reading and Bible study to get you through multiple days. 
This is why it's so funny when I meet people and they go, well, I go to church every Sunday morning. That's good. How do you get through the rest of the week? Well, I just take a big meal on Sunday morning and I don't eat the rest of the week. I'm going, well, that's wonderful. I like to eat every day, physically and spiritually. But, you know, if you can get by on one day a week, that's fine. The problem is they don't. You know, how many of us have ever gone on a fast? And I don't need to show of hands, but, you know, fasting is something that's quite interesting. That first day of fast is really hard. Your body's screaming, I'm hungry. Feed me. Second day, body's usually screaming, I'm hungry. After about three or four or five days, your body's quit screaming that it's hungry as much. But you're still hungry, and your body's still going through the problems of not eating. It's just not screaming as loudly. How many of us do that spiritually? You know, we're real hungry, we're real hungry, and then we haven't fed ourselves for a long time, and we totally forget that the spirit needs to be fed. Give us this day our daily bread, spiritual food and physical food. Do we truly trust in God for everything? And this is important for us because it is so easy, especially in America, not to trust God. This country, you know, even for the poorest of the poor in our country, they're richer than most, most of the world. If you remember back when they were talking about the top 1%, you know, and accusing the rich people. Well, in the world, almost every American is in the top 1% of the world. There are places in this world that if you have food on your table three times a day, you're rich. In their, in their, in their, in their country. We need to understand that God has given us great blessings. We need to be able to be content with what he's given us and be able to ask for daily. And this one's kind of interesting. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Now, this is not necessarily saying that God won't forgive us if we don't forgive. But in the actual day-to-day -day practice of how we live, if we're not forgiving others, we will live in the consequences of those that inability to forgive. And this is something that's really serious in there because I have seen this over the years. I've talked to people. Well, I just don't like so-and-so because 28 years ago they did this to me. And they really hurt me. Why haven't you forgiven me? I just, they, you know, I just can't or they never asked or whatever reason they give you, they'll give you a reason why they don't forgive that person. They live in the pain of that unforgiveness without ever knowing it. We need to learn to forgive. We need to learn to forgive even if they don't ask to be forgiven. We need to learn to forgive even if they don't deserve to be forgiven because we don't deserve to be forgiven and God forgives us. And this is really what he's saying in here. God is so merciful to you and so gracious to you you should be able to forgive other people. And what are you doing if you don't forgive somebody? You're basically saying, God, you're big enough and strong enough to forgive them, but I'm not, so I'm greater than you. I know most of you have never thought about that, but you're basically putting yourself, your standards are higher than God's standards. God can forgive you, but I can't forgive that person, God, because my standards are so much greater than yours, which are perfect and holy and righteous, but but somehow my standards are even higher than yours and I'm not going to forgive them. You're making yourself God. You're putting another God before God. 
when you won't forgive. So you're committing idolatry. Now this is a pretty, I'm not, I'm not trying to be critical, but this is where you're at. You know, I want to take some of these sins to the, to the nth degree when we really realize what it is that we're doing. If I choose not to forgive somebody that God is going to forgive or has forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm saying, God, my, I, I am God. I've I got higher standards than you. We need to be very careful about this. And we sin so often without even recognizing that we're sinning. And we need to be very careful because we'll justify it so easily. God, if you just knew how bad they hurt me, you would understand why I can't forgive them. And I can almost picture Jesus rolling up his sleeves and saying, well, let's see, how bad did you hurt me? Now, let me look at my feet. <laughs> let me look at this scars around my head where they beat the crown into my head. The stripes on my back and sides where they, they whipped me. When we fully understand the cost of the forgiveness of our sin, it should make us easy to forgive others because our sins are just as bad as theirs for God. And we need to learn to be forgiving. And there's nothing worse than to be an unforgiving person because then, you know, every time that person does anything else that hurts you, it's like, well, yep, here's another mark against them. Here's another mark against them. Here's another one. Wow, and these person, this person is a really terrible person. They don't deserve to be forgiven. Look at all these things they're doing. And we need to be very careful about learning to forgive. Because God forgives, but there is a consequence for not forgiving. You know, simple consequence. You see that person you haven't forgiven come into the room, and all of a sudden you get angry. Because they, they hurt you decades ago. They hurt you, but, they're, but you're still angry with them every time you see them. And what's even worse is they act like they don't remember what they did to you because they don't. They don't remember that they hurt you because it wasn't that they didn't think it was a big deal or didn't know that they had done it. And you're, and you're really steaming that they never asked you to be forgiven, to forgive them. And you get angry when you see them, which makes your whole day miserable just because you saw them. We need to be very careful about this. This is why we need to be forgiving and we need to be able to forgive because we are forgiven. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now the interesting thing here is God does not tempt us. We like to tempt ourselves. We have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that tempt us. Satan comes along and, and takes advantage of our three temptations from within us, and he, he likes to tweak those a little bit and, and bring us into temptation. He goes before God just like he did to with Job and says, you know, hey, I'd like to test this person, but you are protecting them. Can I go test them? And more than not, more often than not, God says yes. I kind of wish sometimes he would say no more often, but I'm sure he says no frequently as well. He says yes a lot more than I would like in my life and probably in your life. But what does he want us to do? Learn to follow him. In Psalm 23, he says, we leads us through the shadow of the valley of death. I will fear no evils. You set the table in the midst of my enemies. Now, that, when you really think about that statement, that's kind of an interesting thing. God, I'm in the middle of the battle, and you set up a dinner table for me in the middle of the battle, and let me have dinner, and you're protecting me while I'm having dinner. 
Have you ever thought about that statement? You know, uh, for anybody who's ever been in a battle, that's a really big statement to make. And David, David was that man. He was a, he was a warrior. And he says, God, you've, you've set up my table in the midst of my enemies. You've set a table up and given me a peaceful time to just enjoy life in the middle of the battle. We are in a battle every day with, in this world with our flesh. And God says, I have set up a table for you. I am going to protect you. I am going to lead you when we learn to listen to the voice of the shepherd. When we get into a panic, we need to listen for his voice as he calls for us and go to him. And this is very important. It is so easy for us to get distracted, to get hurt, to be able to walk away from God and, and what he's trying to get us to do because we are falling into this temptation and not listening to God's voice, not being led away from the temptation. Now, as I'm going through all this, you know, I've got the same problems that everybody else, and I fall into the same problems. Now, most of the time when I preach, I'm preaching at myself as much as I do anybody else because I have the same problems, and I don't want to, you know, this one is coming across really interesting to me because it's not quite what I thought I was going to preach, but... Are we truly seeking God in our prayers? Are we really asking to be led? Are we really asking to be his servants and following him? Because it is so easy in our flesh to go away from all of that. One of the accusations that the world will give us Christians is how can you Christians follow an unseen God? He's invisible, you've never seen him. And, you know, and that becomes a hard part sometimes. He is unseen. He isn't unfelt. When you know that God is living in you, you know that God is living in you, and there's not a question of it. But it is hard sometimes to, to follow something that you can't see. Who has rules and ideas that are higher than you are. That, has, that is in a being that is so much infinitely above us that we can't even comprehend, comprehend what he wants, wants done sometimes because he is speaking in earthly language and it is so inferior to what he desires from us. But this prayer if prayed with the right heart, the right attitude, is a powerful prayer. And we can pray any part of that at any time. Here we see adoration. God, you are hallowed. You live in, you live in heaven. He's being thankful for his position. Then he's going out and he's giving us supplication. Lead us, guide us. And the only thing that's not in this prayer is confession. Jesus had nothing to confess because he wasn't a sinner. But we do need to spend time in confession before God. Telling God we're a sinner and asking for forgiveness. We need to be able to understand all of this. And that kind of in there, you know, forgive us as we forgive others. Is, uh, confession is kind of in there in a very small way. But we need to be thinking about this whole attitude. Are we giving God adoration when we pray? Are we being thankful to him? Do we have confession? Then we can give him our supplications and saying, God, this is what I need or, or, or think I need. And then be ready to listen to him, you know, uh, when he gives us our answer. And just, we've, we haven't said it very often, but you know, when God tells us no, that is an answer. It's not necessarily the answer we want to hear,
but it is the it is an answer you know and you know we've we've all had kids in this room you know sometimes we had to tell our kids no they didn't like it any better than we like it hearing no from God but no sometimes is the best answer and God says I know that you don't need this you may think you need this right now and it may be what you think you want but I'm going to tell you no it's not the right answer so we need to be able to understand that sometimes God is going to say no and if we're in the wrong frame of mind we go God says no an awful lot well that's probably true because we are fallen fleshly beings who ask for the wrong things an awful lot so God will oftentimes say no this is not what you need it's not good for you so I'm not giving it to you and we want to be able to keep this in mind that God has a good plan for us a plan that is a wonderful plan to keep us from harm even when we don't understand it we don't want to accept it he says I have a plan that is a good plan and so when you're praying the Lord's Prayer just keep these things in mind this prayer is so much deeper more depth in it than you probably have ever thought it through so if you're gonna say the Lord's Prayer mean it <laughs> mean it and think about the words that you're you're saying when we're praying to God we need to think about our prayers when we're living our lifestyle, it becomes it comes very easy to try to live a lifestyle that is all planned and all formula. You know, uh, it's been a problem in all my life. I, I am a very detail-oriented person. I like to schedule things. I, I still like to schedule things, but I'm not as bad as I used to be. Back in my 20s, I could have told you what I was going to do five years from now because I knew my schedule, and it was that tight. And then anything that got in the way of my schedule irritated me. I have to change my schedule. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. God had to break me of that. It took a long time for him to break me of it. Because that's how I was. I was very regimented. I did things at a certain time, at a certain way, in a certain, certain process, which included my prayer and praises, you know, all pretty much had the same thing going on. And, you know, the other words would be different and everything, but it was very regimented and it became almost an unreal following with God. Do not fall into that pattern of saying vain repetition and saying, you know, and this is one of the things I encourage us all to read the Bible through in the entire year. But again, if all you're doing is reading the Bible through because I have to read the Bible through, uh, God's word doesn't return void. It's better than not reading it, but it's not gonna get you the benefit that I'm hoping that you will get by reading and paying attention to what you're reading. Yeah, I will tell you all real hard, it's hard for me to just read the Bible straight through. Because it'll reference somebody, I'm going, oh, let me, let me remind myself of their story and I'll go back and I'll be, you know. So my little reading that's supposed to only take a half hour to an hour can take two or three hours because I am no longer just reading, I am, you know, studying. Which is good, it's, it's wonderful. But we need to understand, we've got to... We've got to put God in a place and say, God, I want to love you. I want to honor you. I want to do everything for you to get to because I love you. Not because I'm trying to get brownie points for heaven, but because I love him and decide to follow him and choose to follow him. We're going to close here, and then we're going to have the, the Lord's Supper, and then we will sing a last song. Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Lord, help us to always remember you when we're praying. 
Help us to seek you in our prayers. Help us to follow you. Lord, if there's anybody listening online or on the radio or anywhere else that doesn't know you, we ask today they will recognize that they are a sinner in need of a Savior and choose to be your servant and to follow you and to surrender their life to you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431.